It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. Trust me, this is one of those days where it is taking everything for me to do this. But I do it through the listener. I'm tired, I'm worn out, but I also do this because I enjoy it. I may not ever become a household name, but to those of you who listen, I simply want to just say thank you on a very hot Saturday afternoon, triple digit temperature again. It is just hot. If y'all hear any background noises, well, I'm going to let you know right now. And I'm glad my maintenance man come around here and get my air fixed. I'm running two fans, so y'all are just going to have to deal with the noise in the background, unfortunately. But you're on board. Put your seatbelt on and enjoy the ride. What do I have on tap today? Well, I'm going to talk a little bit of Russell Westbrook and some disturbing news between him and his longtime agent. And I'm also going to give you some more on this list of the 30 greatest HBCU players. Yes, I'm going to finish the list, if not today, on my next podcast, most definitely. But what I want to do is I do want to look at some of this Russell Westbrook news because after 14 long years, his agent has decided time to part ways. Yes, once again, Russell Westbrook and his agent have parted ways because of irreconcilable differences. So, Lakers Russell Westbrook and longtime agent Thad Foucher part ways over irreconcilable differences. Los Angeles Lakers star Russell Westbrook and his career-long agent Thad Foucher parted ways Friday night, Foucher told ESPN. The split is due to irreconcilable differences. I represented Russell Westbrook for 14 years and am proud 
of our partnership, which included a highly successful 2008 draft, a Supermax contract, and the only renegotiation and extend Max contract in history. Foucher said in a statement, I also supported Russell Westbrook throughout his rise into a prominent fashion industry figure and recently orchestrated three successive trades on Russell's behalf, culminating with the trade to his hometown, Los Angeles Lakers. Westbrook, 33, has one year remaining on his max contract that pays him $47 million before becoming an unrestricted free agent after the 2022-23 season. The nine-time All-Star and former NBA MVP's future with the Lakers is unclear as his name is present in trade rumors. His long season paired with stars LeBron James and Anthony Davis, who played 40 games, was erratic. Unfortunately, irreconcilable differences exist as to his best pathway forward, and we are no longer working together, said Foucher. I wish Russell and his family the very best. So, Russell Westbrook's name is coming up in trade talks. And to make matters worse, I guess if you want to call it adding insult to injury, no agent. What else do we have going on in the NBA? Well, question is, future contracts. Are we headed for a $70 million a year NBA player? Taking a look at lucrative NBA offseason deals, are we headed for a $70 million a year NBA player? Damian Lillard recently signed a two-year $122 million extension. Nikolai Jokic signed a five-year $270 million extension. This could be just the start of where NBA salaries are headed. In 2023-2024, Golden State star Steph Curry will become the first player in NBA history to make $50 million in one season. In 2026-27, Portland All-Star Damian Lillard will cross the $60 million threshold for one season. That's just a start. That's just a teaser. So where are these contracts headed? I mean, you've seen recently in one of my podcasts, I gave you the rundown of those who signed their Supermax deals. Very lucrative. But to answer this question, and I will get more into this at a more later time and day, but if you take a look at how these contracts are being structured and being set up, like you heard there, Steph Curry, he's set to make $50 million in one season. Damian Lillard, by 2026-27, is going to be at $60 million threshold for one season. So to answer that question, 
Yes. There will be a $70 million man. And who's going to pay for it? You, the fans. That's right. Let me say that again. You, the fans, are going to pay for it. How are you going to pay for it? If you think the cost of going to an NBA game is ridiculous now, just wait. Just wait. Somehow, though, somebody's going to be able to afford getting in to watch an NBA game. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to do, if I can do that, I'm going to look at the average cost of attending an NBA basketball game. I know it's going to be mind-blowing. When you throw in the price of admission, not to mention the concessions, And we are going to look at this breakdown. It is said here, the NBA is the second most expensive league in terms of attending a game. On average, on average, the cost to watch an NBA game is $120.13. But the New York Knicks are home to the priciest game. An average Knicks game will cost fans $260.38. And that's not even the floor seats. The second most expensive NBA game to attend is the Golden State Warriors, $203.30, followed by the Los Angeles Lakers, $190.00. 76 cents. While it is not as affordable as the average price to see in Major League Baseball game, an NHL game is still a reasonable option compared to an NFL or NBA game. On average, the cost to attend an NHL game is $114.47. After including two tickets, two beers, hot dogs, and parking, a New York Rangers game will set you back $182.43. A Boston Bruins game, Boston Bruins game, the second most expensive at $162.36, followed by the Toronto Maple Leafs at $160.01. Penny. The Rangers are also home to the most expensive beer in the league, which will cost you a whopping $15. Most diehard sports fans can overlook the cost to attend a live game, but when they but when do they think arenas and stadiums will be filled with fans again? According to, the, according to survey respondents, 37% believe attendance will return 
by the end of the 2021, while 21% feel it won't be until 2022. While it's difficult to say when live attendance will return to full capacity, fans will be eager to be the first in line to grab the best seats in the house when stadiums are packed once again. And understand that this was like during the coming out of the COVID era. So that's where some of this information is coming from. So, yes, this information is slightly outdated, but you get the picture of how costly it is to go to NBA game, NHL game. Very pricey. And like I say, you, the fans in attendance, are paying these salaries. So now my question is, when is enough going to be enough? When is the madness going to stop? The more the players have, the more the players get paid. And I know TV deals play a lot, endorsement deals, this and that. But at the end of the day, the fans is paying. Which is why I come, I am kind of glad right about now that Adam Silver is addressing load management. I'm just going to say it like this. And those of you that very seldom to hear me talk like this. I'm going to say it like this. If your ass ain't hurt, you need to be on the floor playing the game. If you love the game, if you say you have the greatest fans in the world, and Draymond even said when they were playing against the Boston Celtics, he said those are the greatest fans. He likes their energy. He likes how they, I mean, he gave Boston fans. So, in other words, not only do you have fans at home, but you have fans away. And if you really care about the fans, you can play through a hangnail. Now, if you got broken parts, that's understandable. But some minor nicks and deans is part of the game. Jordan didn't load manage. Charles Barkley didn't load manage. Shaq didn't load manage. Hakeem Olajuwon didn't load manage. These are some of the greats of the games. If the season was 82 games long, barring injury, you saw them home and away. Sometimes, in a way, venues, you saw the opposing player signing autographs because some little kid wanted to get that player's autograph because even though he's a fan of the home team, his favorite player plays on the visiting team. So I say to this new generation of players coming up, think long, hard, and twice before sitting out when you really don't need to sit out. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. That's your first segment. guess I was kind of all over the place, but I think there are some things that actually needed to have been said. Some things that need to be brought to our attention. And I guess the next question is, where will Russell Westbrook end up? And without an agent. After 14 years, differences cannot be reconciled. 
I'm going to try my best to follow this story because I want to know what the irreconcilable differences really are. But I tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to go ahead and pause, take a break. And when I come back, I'm going to come back with the rest of the list of the 30 greatest HBCU players. I might conclude it, or I might give you 10 more. Stay tuned to the next segment, because it's right around the corner, and I guarantee you will enjoy it. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and your favorite conductor, Anthony Smith. podcast your podcast for sports and so much more thank you for listening to the a-train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith if you would like to have your ad or sponsor a segment on here simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or you can simply email me that's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com that's a dot train sports talk at gmail.com once again it's the a train sports talk podcast your host and conductor anthony smith train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard segment i want you to know if you don't already know college football season is on the way also high school football season is on the way so yes the return of the coaches corner will be fastly approaching and in case you notice that you hear some of my ad spots and it sounds like it's the same ones over and over again 
Well, that's for a reason. And I am not ashamed and bashful to say. If you want to advertise on the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, I can guarantee you I have the lowest rates. So just let me just throw this figure in there. Ad spots are $9.99 a month. And if you want to sponsor a segment such as, say, the Coach's Corner, Outside the Box, Halftime Show, Player Spotlight, segments are only $4.99 a month. So feel free to reach out to me. You can reach me at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com. Or you can also call me by phone, 316-553-2010, and we'll be more than glad to hear what it is you'd like to do. Because I'm in this business not just to get a quick buck, but I'm also in this business to help others get their name out there and help them grow their business as well, too. So it's kind of like a we help each other. You help me, I help you. So that's the reason I, well, that's not the sole reason I podcast. I podcast because I love what I'm doing. I podcast because I've been influenced by others. Uh, Some you've heard on my podcast as guests. Scott Stiles, I'm forever grateful for him. He was on my 200th episode. People like Mike Kennedy, who I've listened to as a kid growing up throughout the years. He's been the voice of Shocker Basketball for Lord knows how long. The idea of me doing a podcast, it was birthed at KGS Studios with a guy named Rick Thomas, who has his own thing called Running the Table, who used to let me come into the radio station with him and be on the air. So, yes, I've actually been an on-air personnel at a radio station. So, I'm doing this because it got in my bloodstream, and I've decided to just keep on doing it, and never thought my wildest dreams, I'd be at 200 episodes plus, but that's where I'm at now, and I'm doing it because I enjoy it, and I'm doing it because I'm saying something that somebody wants to hear. I don't have the big audience, but hopefully one of these days that will change, and I'll also be devoting some time also to my YouTube channel, which will be in connection with a train sports talk podcast as well, too. So there's going to be some things happening, but like I say, the format will be expanding throughout the days and weeks to come. So get on board. If you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, it's been laid out there. And like I said, the football season is coming up. So yes, we will be, I will be doing the, uh, College football preview of the different conferences and different teams. How much of it I will get to, I don't know, but I will definitely be getting to it. Let you know what's what's going on with maybe some of your favorite teams that you follow. But with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and get back into this list of 30 of the greatest HBCU players. We already ran down from 30 to 20, which now leads us into number 19. Liam Barney, cornerback, kick returner, Jackson State. Liam Barney, cornerback, kick returner, Jackson State. Before Deion Sanders, Devin Hester, and even fellow Lion Mel Gray, Lemuel Liam Barney was one of the first dynamic defensive backs who were dangerous as kick and punt returners. 
Barney was also one of the best ball hawks in his era. During Barney's time with the Lions, Barney had 2,586 kick and punt return yards and three touchdowns. However, Barney's claim to fame was the ability to take interceptions to the house. Barney returned seven interceptions for touchdowns. Barney had 10 interceptions for 232 yards and three touchdowns during his rookie season. Hmm. Those are... Anyway. <laughs> Sounds like someone that plays for the Dallas Cowboys, doesn't it? Anyway, once again, Barney had 10 interceptions for 232 yards and three touchdowns during his rookie season on the way to winning Rookie of the Year. Jackson State is where Barney honed his ball skills. After playing quarterback in Gulfport, Mississippi, Barney started at JSU. Barney had 26 career interceptions while at Jackson State, 20 of them his last two years. The Detroit Lions drafted Barney in the second round of the 1967 NFL Draft. During 10 seasons, all with the Lions, Barney was a seven-time Pro Bowler and twice All-NFL First Team. Barney's versatility was not limited to returning kicks and punts and being a defensive back. Barney was also a skilled punter. During his rookie year, Barney had 47 points, averaging 37.4 yards per punt. Number 18. Watch this guy growing up as a kid. Harold Carmichael. Yes, all six foot eight, 225 pounds of Harold Carmichael, wide receiver, Southern University. Six foot eight, 225 pounds. Most opponents probably did not see Harold Carmichael as a pass catching wide receiver tight end hybrid. However, before Jimmy Graham made it famous, Carmichael was a progenitor. of the hybrid position. Carmichael played in in line as a tight end, but spent most of his career as a wide receiver. However, what is most fascinating about Carmichael's Hall of Fame career is how late he began playing the game. While in high school, Carmichael began playing the clarinet in the high school band. Carmichael began playing football later in high school. After starring at quarterback for Reigns High School in Jacksonville, Florida, Carmichael walked on at Southern University. At Southern, Carmichael was a three-sport star in basketball, track, and football. Carmichael was drafted by the Eagles in the seventh round and converted to a tight end. However, it was head coach Mike McCormick who switched Carmichael back to wide receiver. Carmichael's career took off with the arrival of quarterback Ron Jaworski in 1977. Carmichael and Jaws were linked as one of the best quarterback wide receiver duos of the 70s and 80s. Carmichael retired with then with a then record of at least one reception in 127 consecutive games. In addition, Carmichael was selected to four Pro Bowls and led the league in receiving in 1973. Number 17, Bob Hayes, wide receiver, kick returner. Florida A&M. Bob Lee, Bullet Bob Hayes, has two unique career distinctions. First, 
Hayes is one of only two gold medalists to play in the NFL, joining Jim Thorpe. Second, Hayes, however, is the only gold medalist to win a Super Bowl. The question about Hayes has always been, just how fast is he? According to legendary sports writer Ralph Wiley, Hayes ran a 60-yard dash in 5.29 seconds. When Hayes won a gold medal in the 100 meters, he won by four total meters. Hayes translated that superhuman speed to the NFL and was drafted in the seventh round by the Dallas Cowboys in the 1965 NFL draft. Hayes had 25 touchdown catches in his first two seasons. Hayes was so fast that he is credited with teams developing both zone coverage and bump and run coverage to contain him. Before the Olympics and the Cowboys, Hayes had a stellar career with Florida A&M. Coached by the legendary coach Jack Gaither, Hayes was an all-conference receiver and track athlete. Hayes was a player well before his time, but with speed like this, there is no telling what kind of numbers Hayes could put up in today's game. Number 16, Harry Carson. Linebacker, South Carolina State. After Harry Carson was one of the greatest inside linebackers in the history of football. Carson was an outstanding member of the New York Giants of the 1980s, a team full of colorful characters, including their head coach, Bill Parcells. Before the NFL, Carson had an outstanding career at South Carolina State for the, Car- for the South Carolina State Bulldogs. Playing for legendary coach Willie Jeffries, Carson did not miss a game during his collegiate career. In addition, Carson won MEAC Defensive Player of the Year twice and was an All-American in 1975. That same year, Carson set school records in tackles, 117, and sacks, 17. Carson was a fourth-round draft pick of the New York Giants in 1976. Carson played all of his 13 seasons with the Giants, leading them in tackles, and was captain for 10. Carson was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 2002, and the Black College Football Hall of Fame in 2012. As a pro, Carson was a nine-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion, and member of the Giants' Ring of Honor. The South Carolina native was a catalyst for the Giants of the 1980s, and Bill Belichick considered Carson the best linebacker he ever coached. Carson was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2006. Now, there is something right there of interest before I go on to the next because if I'm correct, Harry Carson was also on the team with one Lawrence Taylor, who some say is probably the greatest linebacker in NFL history. Maybe him, Jerry Thomas. But that last part right there, right there, this will probably most likely be a poll question right here. Bill Belichick considered Carson the best linebacker he ever coached. That's saying something. Now, I don't believe Bill Belichick was the head coach. I believe he was the defensive coordinator under Bill Parcells. But that says a lot when you consider what that Giants team had during that era 
with Bill Parcells as the coach, Bill Belichick, defensive coach, and there was also Lawrence Taylor, and he's considered the best linebacker in the words of Bill Belichick. Moving right along, number 15, Willie, William Willie Lanier, middle linebacker, Morgan State. There was a time in football history where blacks were not considered competent enough to play three positions, quarterback, center, middle linebacker. Willie Lanier shattered those notions becoming the first professional black player to become an NFL middle linebacker while a member of the Chiefs. With the 50th pick in the NFL draft, the Kansas City Chiefs drafted Lanier in the third round in 1967. Before the NFL, Lanier was a standout linebacker for Morgan State, for the, for the Morgan State Bears. Under head coach Earl Banks, Lanier was a two-time All-American at Morgan State. Though Lanier was known for a rugged, physical style of play, he had 27 career interceptions. Lanier would also be honored to be part of one of the most talented fronts in NFL history. Six foot one, at six foot one, and 245 pounds. Lanier could play in today's NFL with his ability to play the run and the pass with equal mastery. Chiefs teammate Jerry Mays called him contact because he played all three downs. After one of the most impressive careers the sport had, the sport had ever, Lanier was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1986. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do right here. I am going to go ahead and take another break. When I come back, I'm going to bring you down to at least the 20 spot. Yes, we're moving right along with this list. It is your host and your conductor. Anthony Smith, A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'll be back on the other side of this break, so don't you go nowhere. Hope you're enjoying today's podcast. Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Grab your tickets, get on board, and enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! (laughs) 
hot, hot, steamy Saturday afternoon in the air capital city, the ICT, the 316. The, damn, this town have too many nicknames. Anyway, it's hot and I'm trying to stay cool. Hope you are enjoying today's podcast as we're running down this list of 30 of the greatest HBCU football players. Now, I know I'm going to run this list down to at least number 20. Very intriguing list. Some names that you may remember, some names you may have forgotten. But I'm glad I could bring this podcast to you. And this train is building up ahead of steam. So keep your seat belts on at all times. Because this train will take you on a journey. I know the music was playing a little bit longer. Anyway, we're getting back into this list. And coming in at number 14, there are some teams when they played against your favorite team, you felt scared for your own team. And this guy played for a defense that was a scary defense. Number 14, Richard Dent. Defensive end, Tennessee State. NFL Hall of Famer was a pillar on the defensive line of the famed Monsters of the Midway. Chicago Bears of the 1980s. During Dent's remarkable NFL career, he compiled 137 and a half sacks, 13 fumble recoveries, and an astounding eight interceptions. Dent was one of the premier pass rush defensive ends of the 1980s, along with Bruce Smith and Reggie White. The prime of Dent's career was from 1983 to 1993, where he had 124 Point five of his 137.5 of his sacks. Dent retired third all-time in sacks behind White and Smith. Dent was one of the critical members of the famed 1985 Chicago Bears defense, which claims to be the best defense in NFL history. Won't find an argument from me on that one. After the Bears' 46-10 route of the Patriots, Dent was named the game MVP with one and a half sacks, two forced fumbles, and a batted pass. Dent made four Pro Bowls and was a four-time All-Pro first team. The Atlanta, Georgia native is one of 30 members of the 100 Sack Club. Before becoming one of the great pass rushers in, in, in NFL history, Dent cut his teeth at Tennessee State. Dent played for the Tigers from 1979 to 1982. A four-year letterman, Dent was a two-time All-American and was TSU's All-American leader in sacks, 39 and a half when he graduated. Dent still holds the mark for sacks in the game, four and a half in 1982. Dent finished his career in Nashville with 159 tackles, 39.5 sacks, and was an eighth-round draft pick of the Chicago Bears in 1983. Number 13, Arthur L. Art Shell, offensive tackle, University of Maryland. 
Eastern Shore. Most casual football fans recall Art Shell, the coach. Shell was the first modern era black head coach hired by Al Davis and the Raiders in 1989, coaching six seasons and leading the Raiders to their first AFC title game since the Tom Flores era. Shell was the first black head coach since Fritz Pollard at the turn of the 20th century. However, not many know the Hall of Fame tackle who anchored the offensive line of John Madden's Oakland Raiders in, of the 1960s and 70s with Gene Upshaw. Shell was one of the most athletic and physically gifted offensive linemen of any era. Shell played in 207 games starting in, one, starting in 169 and blocked for quarterbacks Ken Stabler, Daryl LaMonica, giving them time to throw deep to Fred Belitnikoff, Cliff Branch, and Dave Casper. Before Shell became a great coach and even more outstanding player, he was a two-sport athlete from Bonds Wilson High School in North Charleston, South Carolina, excelling in basketball and football. Shell chose Maryland State College, now Maryland Eastern Shore, over Grambling State. Shell was a two-time All-American and three-time All-Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association selection while at Maryland State. Shell's head coach, Roosevelt Sandy Gilliam Jr., called Shell a once-in-a-lifetime athlete. Number 12. I even hate to say this one, but I got to give him his due. John Starworth, wide receiver, Alabama A&M. One of the most exciting stories about John Starworth is how he ended up in Pittsburgh. Famed HBCU scout and newspaper columnist Bill Nunn got to Alabama A&M before the rest of the scouts for the coach's film of Starworth. Nunn promised that he would share the coach's tape with the other scouts, many from AFL. However, Nunn never shared the videos and convinced Chuck Noll and Art Rooney to draft Starworth. Starworth's journey to the NFL is as fascinating as how Nunn got him drafted by the Steelers. A Tuscaloosa native, Starworth was a running back on a high school team that won just one game his senior year. Though Starworth aspired to play for his native Crimson Tide, Paul Bryant did not recruit him. Starworth did receive a scholarship to play for Alabama A&M. While at A&M, Starworth convinced coaches to try him out at wide receiver. That turned out to be quite the decision. Starworth became Alabama A&M's all-time and single-game leader in reception. Pittsburgh drafted Starworth in the fourth round of the 1974 NFL Draft. During his 14 years with the Steelers, Starworth proved one, proved one of the most excellent playoff receivers in NFL history. Starworth was the highest single-game, 40.4, and career average, 24.4, per reception in playoff history. Starworth also caught the game-winning pass in the Super Bowl against the Dallas Cowboys. I hate to have to say that, but it happened. 
and the go-ahead touchdown against the Los Angeles Rams in the Super Bowl. Number 11, Michael Strahan. Defensive end, Texas Southern. Hall of Fame defensive end, Michael Strahan, has one of the more incredible journeys to the NFL and Canton. A Houston, Texas native, Strahan is the son of retired Army major and boxer. The elder Strahan was stationed in Germany when Michael was nine years old. While coming up on a U.S. Army base in Germany, Strahan was introduced to football and played one moment, there we go, and played at the base high school in Germany. Strahan's size and natural ability led his father to send Strahan to his uncle, former NFL player Arthur Strahan, to play his senior year back in Houston. Though Strahan did not receive any significant college offers, he was offered a scholarship by Texas Southern. While at Texas Southern, Strahan set the school record with 19 sacks as a senior. In 1992, Strahan was the SWAC's Defensive Player of the Year and First Team All-SWAC. Strahan left Texas Southern, and he was the Tigers' all-time leaders in sacks, 41 and a half. The New York Giants drafted Strahan in the second round in 1993, where his dominance over quarterbacks continued. Strahan's breakout season was 1997, where he led the team in sacks, 14. In 2001, Strahan broke Mark Gasson's single-season single record for sacks, 22.5, on his way to being named NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Strahan ended his career as part of the 100 Sacks Club. Strahan was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2014. Number 10, you can see this guy weekdays going at it against Skip Bayless. Out of Savannah State, number 10, tight end Shannon Sharp. Hall of Fame tight end Shannon Sharp eclipsed his older brother's shadow pretty quickly. Ernie Sharp was a record-setting wide receiver, though his career was cut short by a neck injury. Shannon did not have the same role as his elder brother either. Instead of being recruited and playing for a major college, Sterling was a standout at South Carolina. The younger Sharp went to Division II Savannah State and HBCU in Georgia. While at Savannah State, Sharp rewrote the record book. Sharp was a four-year letter winner and was all SIAC first team three years in a row. In 1989, Sharp was SIAC co-player of the year, Kodak Small School All-America first team, and Georgia player of the year. Sharp was the team, was the first player from Savannah State to receive invitations to the Blue-Gray Classic in East-West Trying Game. Sharp still owns a single-season record for receiving yards touchdowns, and yards per catch at Savannah State. Sharp became one of the first hybrid-style receiving tight ends in the game. Sharp won three Super Bowls and retired as the all-time leader in receptions by a tight end.
Number nine. From Southern University. Cornerback. Aeneas Williams. Williams is proof that the evaluation system is not always perfect. A New Orleans native, Williams was an all-district safety, but he played for the same high school team with three future NFL players, Maurice Hurst, Kevin Lewis, and Ashley Ambrose. Suffice it to say, scouts did not come and look at Williams. With no college offers, Williams decided to attend Southern University where his brother, Achilles, went. Our parents always expected that we would go to college and get our degree, he explained. Playing football never crossed my mind. I was preparing for the rest of my life. Williams concentrated on getting his degree and did not play football at Southern until his junior year. Williams was all swag and led the conference in interceptions despite not playing college football for two years. Williams was also a third-round draft pick of the Arizona Cardinals on his way to a Hall of Fame career. As a rookie, Williams led the NFC in interceptions. Williams made eight Pro Bowls, a three-time All-Pro, and a Cardinals Ring of Honor member. During his 13-year career, Williams had 55 touchdowns, 23 fumble recoveries, and 13 touchdowns. Williams was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2014. Yes, I am going through the list. Coming in, number eight, another Southern University cornerback, Mel Blunt. One often overlooked aspect of the Steel Curtain defense was Defense is the secondary. Known for their hard-hitting physical play, physical style, the Steelers' defense was one of the most athletic defenses of their era. It seemed as if everyone on the Steelers' defense could run. The secondary, led by Hall of Fame cornerback Mel Blunt, was such a player. Anytime you have a rule named after you that is a guaranteed place in history or any player, the Mel Blunt rule was put in place to allow receivers release after five yards. The rule was enacted because teams could not throw against Blunt in the Steelers secondary. After an All-American career at Southern, Blunt was a third-round draft pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Bill Nunn Jr. was the catalyst behind Blunt coming to Pittsburgh. Man, that name is very synonymous. He's the one that got stalwart there. Can't say the man didn't have an eye for talent. The Georgia native was a rare combination of size and speed, large enough to play safety, fast enough to play corner. Though Blunt is often remembered as a hard hitter, he had, a, he had phenomenal ball skills. Blunt ended his career with 57 interceptions and had won every season of his 14-year career leading the league in 1975 with 11 interceptions. Blunt was enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1989 and inducted into the Black College Football Hall of Fame in 2011. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you two more names 
And I do believe time will allow. Yes, it will. I'm going to give you two more names. And that's going to leave me with the top five for another day, which will keep you in suspense. So who is number seven? This guy was scared. This guy put the scare in scary. This guy, when he hit you upside your head, your helmet would literally crack. You probably thought you was in a thunderstorm when this guy hit you. He brought the thunder. Number seven. And you probably thought he was the devil's right-hand man playing for the he played for two colleges, South Carolina State and Mississippi Valley State Delta Devils. Number 75, known as the Deacon, David Deacon Jones. Just saying that name is scary. David Deacon Jones is the prototype for the modern defensive end in many ways. The Secretary of Defense played at six foot five, two hundred seventy pounds. Many defensive ends play at that size today. Jones was explosive off the line of scrimmage, as many defensive ends are today. Jones coined the word sack and perfected many pass rush maneuvers defensive ends use today, including the head slap, which was banned. However, Jones's football journey to stardom and the Hall of Fame began rather rocky. Growing up in the segregated South, Jones was all too familiar with Jim Crow segregation. Jones, a standout high school athlete in Eatonville, Florida, went to South Carolina State to play football. Instead, Jones had his scholarship revoked after participating in a civil rights protest. Jones followed an assistant coach to Mississippi Valley State in Itabina and played a final season. A Ram scout evaluating running backs and saw Deacon Jones at over 270 pounds out running the running back. Jones was drafted in the 14th round by the Los Angeles Rams in 1961, joining Lamar Lundy, Roosevelt, Rosie Greer, and Merlin Olsen to form the fearsome foursome most dominant defensive lines in NFL history. Though the sack was not an official statistic during Jones's playing days, he is unofficially credited with 173 and a half sacks, including 24 and a half in one season. Number six. We are the Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Houston Oilers. Number one. Y'all remember that one, don't y'all? Well, number six. Out of Jackson State University, defensive end, outside linebacker, Robert Brazil. Brazil's nickname, Dr. Doom, should get him on this list. However, much like Deacon Jones, who precedes him on this list, Brazil changed how his position is played. Before Lawrence Taylor became arguably the greatest outside linebacker in football history, Brazil terrorized quarterbacks. Brazil played for Jackson State's talented 1974 team. 
three players from their team, Brazil, Walter Payton, and Jackie Slater, are all enshrined in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Starting as a tight end, Brazil switched to linebacker in 1972 to take advantage of his combination of size and speed. Besides, you couldn't call a tight end Dr. Doom. While at Jackson State, Brazil was an All-American in 1974, setting school record for tackles in one season, 129, and received an invitation to the Senior Bowl. Brazil also led the SWAC in interceptions the same season. Brazil was impressive enough for the Oilers to draft him sixth overall in the 1975 NFL Draft. Bum Phillips, who drafted Brazil, switched to a 3-4 defense, which fit Brazil perfectly. Phillips and Brazil popularized sending the outside linebacker off the edge to rush the passer years before Lawrence Taylor perfected the art. Unofficially, Brazil has 48 career sacks. Brazil was simply was not simply a pass rusher, a pass rush specialist. The Jackson State standout ended his career with 13 interceptions and 14 forced 14 fumble recoveries. So that will bring this train into the station. Hope you have enjoyed today's episode of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Yes, I have five more names to go. And when you like to know who they are, you would but the only way to find that out is you have to come back with on the ride for the next journey all you have to do is just use your imagination of names that i haven't called yet and you just might come up with the top five or you might come up with two of the top five but i have enjoyed this journey today i've mustered up the strength and it's all because of you who listen so, until the next time, take care of yourself and each other. It is yours truly, the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and favorite conductor, Anthony Smith. Be blessed.